For thousands of years, we've been under the impression that the Bible was intended to be taken seriously. Finally, a new translation that changes all of that. This is Oh My God, What the Fuck Bible! Welcome to a monthly podcast coming straight out of Parkside's Lounge in New York City. We're here with our live, very excited audience as we go through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter. Every month, I read uh, one chapter of our new translation with a special guest. This guest will try to get through it while I make sarcastic comments. Last month has been really exciting. There have been a lot of really cool reviews online, so thank you so much for that. I want to thank everyone in the world who's been listening to this for listening to it because it's just so exciting to see how many people this is getting to. I want to thank my audience for being here tonight. It's a very, very cold night. There are a lot of people sick with the flu. There's an epidemic. Uh, it's Some of our audience is sick tonight. It's Martin Luther King Day, so people are at home celebrating with their families. There was an inauguration today. It's a crazy, crazy day. Um, so thank you all for coming out tonight. Uh, for those listening at home and those here, I just want to remind you, you can connect with this podcast on Twitter. Uh, we're at twitter.com slash Bible on Facebook at facebook.com slash omg. Bible, um, and we're always, as always, on omgwdfbible.com, but there's a really excited to tell you about a new way to get the podcast. If you use the Stitcher uh, mobile radio app on your smartphone, your iPhone, whatever you have, you can download the podcast, you can listen to it streaming wherever you are, so that's really exciting. Yeah. Now, we're going to get into uh, episode four in just a second, but before we do, um, th- I want to correct some errors from last week. Uh, I know, or sorry, last month. I know last month uh, we said that uh, after Noah leaves the big box, he makes a sacrifice to God. And I mistakenly said that, that was the first animal sacrifice. That's actually the second animal sacrifice in the Bible. The first one was obviously human sacrifice. Not yet. But the first animal sacrifice in the Bible was obviously um, in chapter 2, the whole story of Cain and Abel. So that all things. So I wanted to get that out of here because this is going to be definitive and this, will be, this is going to be true. Um, but let's get our guest up on stage. Are you guys ready for our guest tonight? Yeah! So, uh, tonight our guest is somebody who I've known for a very, very long time. He's uh, very, very close to me. Um, this guy is a, he's a writer, he's an artist, he's a visual artist. His most well-known work was a uh, performance piece that was a collaboration with the artist Kai Altoff um, that toured the world and was featured in the Whitney Biennial called There We Will Be Buried. Please welcome to the stage Yair Obaum. How are you, Yair? I'm well, David. That's How awesome. Are you? I'm great. I'm just a little ill, I think. Just a little? Just a little flu? Just a little flu. How are you doing tonight? I'm all right. I'm feeling a little flu-like myself. That's that's not good. I fought the symptoms so I could be here. Um, um, Thank you so much for coming out here. Of course. Now, there's one other connection that we have that we haven't told the audience. It's true. Uh, You're my first cousin. It's true. Which is really exciting. Blood relative. We're blood relatives. (laughs) I think we've blown the minds of some people in our audience. Um, Now... Let's, let's, let's talk about you. Uh, what do you do with yourself when you're not on a podcast? When I'm not on a podcast? Yes. Um, I do some freelance design work, and I'm, I'm also writing various projects. Mm-hmm. 
in these days. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk. I, yes. I like to make music too. <laughs> what kind of music? Atonal music. That's the most fun kind, I think. For everyone, but just me, actually. It's music that you enjoy by yourself. It's music that only I can enjoy, probably. Um, what's What's your background like? Because we like to get an idea of uh, what our guests are bringing to this translation of the Bible. Um, well, I was raised as an Orthodox Jew. Mm-hmm. Um, I went. I attended yeshiva for the first 18 years of my life, mm-hmm. as well as a um, yeshiva in the land of Eretz Israel in Israel um, when I was 18 as well. Okay. So you bring a lot. So what do you do now? Um, what do, what, in terms of what? <laughs> in terms of the Torah. I mean, you have a very, very serious background to it, but what are you, what is your attitude now these days? My attitude towards now, towards it now, I don't take it too seriously, but okay. I also think it's, it's a very interesting work and in that it influenced so much of modern society in okay. so many different ways. It's been the inspiration for so many different and separate acts over the course of so many years. Yeah. That's crazy. It's almost unimaginable. <laughs> Some of our audience are pointing out that that's true. Um, what's your What's your favorite story in this whole thing? Um, I really like the story of Yehuda and Tamar. That's Judah and Tamar. Um, <laughs> d- do you remember that one? Um, I do, but so tell it to us in your own words. Um, well, it's a little love story between a man and his daughter-in-law in which the supposedly the first semen is spilled on the ground. The first semen? <laughs> Not the first semen, but the fir- it's the first mention of the spilling of semen on the ground. And probably the first mention of semen in the book, too. Also the first mention of semen. Very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Um, that's actually um, when this idea first germinated in my head, to use a word that I feel is appropriate for what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> First, I was just going to translate that story, so it's very familiar to me. And then I was like, fuck it, let's do the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's a the part they skipped over in my school. Me too. So as to avoid the controversy of the children asking what the seed was. <laughs> I think it was more than that, because doesn't um, Tamar end up prostituting herself on this? She does. She, dresses up, she dresses up as a prostitute to entice her father-in-law. Yes, it's very common. It's a very good strategy. <laughs> There's a good and reason for it, too. her, because right. she was dressed up like a prostitute. And she was enticing her father-in-law for good reason, too, which we'll get to eventually. Um, So I guess the last question that I'll ask you before we just jump right into this is, um, what's your first memory of me? So I I did a little thinking about this, and I can't really come up with the first memory, but one of my first memories of you is in the basement of our grandparents' house, where we would always fight to see who would be able to get to sleep on the two red chairs pushed together, and this memory involves... Um, Let's let's just give this whole thing some context. We would spend uh, the Jewish holidays at our grandparents' house, and because there weren't enough bedrooms for everybody, all the um, younger kids who were, you know, under bar mitzvah age, under 10 or 13, would all sleep on mattresses in a basement together. But then there was the coveted spot of the two red chairs pushed together. Yes. Where I lost one of my teeth. But my specific (laughs) memory is actually of you and my brother doing a really long um, imitation spoof of the Pinky and the Brain sketch from Animaniacs. And sometimes you would even employ a slightly British version of Pinky to 
I don't um, to yeah. accent this, and your father would also come down in the middle and tell us to go to sleep and be <laughs> quiet because we were interrupting them. But then you'd continue, maybe a little bit quieter, but then you'd get more raucous, and then you'd come back down, and tell us to be quiet, and get really angry, and it would just kind of be a cycle of. I remember this brain. very vaguely, and there was no door or anything. It was there just was no stairs, doors. so they could hear yeah. everything that came through. Exactly. Well, c- cool. <laughs> I'm glad we could share that with everyone who's listening throughout the world and with our audience here. Um, but I think it's about time we get into into the Bible. All right. Are you guys ready? Yeah! Awesome. All right. This is Torah, a loose translation. In the beginning, chapter 4, in which God talks about rainbows and gets mad at some people for building a tower. I hereby make a pact with you, God said to Noah and his sons, your progeny after you, and all the living souls with you, all the birds, animals, creatures of the land, all who left the ark, and those who live in the land. With this covenant, I swear to me that I will never again kill the fuck out of all flesh using floodwaters, and I will not send another deluge to slaughter the land. This is the symbol of the pact I am making with you and all living creatures throughout the generations of the world. I have placed my bow between the clouds as a sign of the agreement between myself and the ground. All will see my bow between the clouds. When I see it, I will remember the pact that I have made between myself, you, and all the living flesh that the waters of the floods will never again destroy all that live. And the bow will be in the clouds to recall the eternal covenant between the Lord and all living things of the world. And whenever you see the image of the bow hanging outside a building, know that those inside are my most fervent believers and will trust everything that is said in this book. (laughs) This is the sign of the agreement I have established. Rainbows, guys, it's a gay symbol. Okay. This is the sign of the agreement I have established between myself and all the flesh of the land. Shem, Cham, and Japhet were the sons of Noah, who left the box. Cham was the forefather of Canaan. The entire world was populated from the offspring of these three men. Given that the entire world came from three people, it's safe to assume that there was a whole lot of cousin fucking. Yes, you used to talk about that a lot too, David. Uh, I don't, okay. <laughs> I won't disagree. Noah became a man of the earth and planted a vineyard. Clearly, this is a man who has his priorities straight. He drank from the wine, got drunk as fuck and was in his tent, totally naked. Cham, the father of Canaan, saw the excessive nudity of his father and told both of his brothers outside. First of all, the phrase excessive nudity is a little curious because I feel like once you're naked, you're naked. Uh, you can't be oh, more than naked. I mean, the only thing that I can think of is that like they got into the tent and Noah was just kind of lying on his back with his legs spread open. And that's fucking excessive. The other thing is that when I was reading this section in the Oxford University Press Bible, a footnote said that some have speculated that Ham had sex with his father since seeing nakedness refers to incest 
tempestuous behavior elsewhere in this book. If that's the case, then not only does the Bible have really confusing ways of talking about sex, but it also means that after Ham fucked his dad, he went outside and then told his brothers that he fucked his dad, which is not how you get away with this kind of thing. I would also like to note at this point that there is also a dissenting opinion mm-hmm. who believes that Ham didn't actually rape his father, but he castrated his father. Again, if you do that, don't tell your brothers about it. I think he would have been able to figure that out himself. I don't know. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Shem and Yafet put a robe on their shoulders and walked backwards into the tent, covering their father's junk without seeing him. I'm pretty sure this is an episode of Three's Company. Eventually, Noach's stupor wore off, and he realized what his youngest son did to him. Incest. (laughs) Kena'an is cursed, Noach said. He shall be the slave of his brother's slaves. Blessed be the Yehovah, the God of Shem. Canaan will be a slave to him. So apparently there are some people who think that Canaan was black, and therefore uh, everyone who descended with Canaan was black, and for that reason slavery is morally justified. Or, you know, this was used in the 19th century for slavery to be morally justified. That opinion is a little bit more quiet now. <laughs> God shall make Yafet awesome, and he will dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan will be a slave to them both. Also, uh, this whole thing with the brother being a slave to his two other brothers was definitely a plot of Three's Company. <laughs> After the flood, Noah lived for 350 years, for a total of 950 years over the course of his life. These are the chronicles of Shem, Ham, and Yafet, the sons of Noah. They had sons after the deluge. The children of Yafet were... So now we're going to get into a really long list of the children of all of these people. Before we get into this list, I want to preface it by saying every single one of these names is incredibly silly. An incredibly long episode of Three's Company. Yes. (laughs) The children of Yafet were... Gomer... Pile, Hubagat, Ashkenaz, Rifat, Togarma, returning to the sons of Yafet, yes. Magog. So you know how there are those prophecies, end-time prophecies of the great war between Gog and Magog? This is Magog. Madai, Yavan, Hubagat, Elisha, Tarshish, Kitim, Dodanim, back to Yafet's sons. Tuval, Meshech, Tiras. From these, the seafaring nations of the world descended, each in their own lands, speaking their own languages, in their own families and nations. The descendants of Ham were Kus, who begat Sva, Chavila, Savta, Raama, who begat Sva. Rama named his son after his brother. Also known as Sva. <laughs> Dadan. Savcha. Nimrod. I, I'm sorry, I think that's Savcha. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. Savcha. And Nimrod, the strongest man in the world. In addition to being the strongest man in the world, Nimrod was also, before God, a powerful hunter. This is why everyone always says, as powerful a hunter before God as Nimrod. Yeah, nobody says that. 
<laughs> hey, I just said it. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> On this podcast, people say it. <laughs> the cities of Bavel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar were at the forefront of Nimrod's kingdom. So Nimrod has just built a kingdom, which is crazy. Um, if you remember in chapter 2, Kayan built a city with nobody in it. <laughs> we just had a flood and the entire world was wiped out. And so far we've only heard 32 names since the flood. So as kingdoms go, this was kind of a lame one. <laughs> Ashur left Nimrod's kingdom and built Nineveh and Kalach. Oh, Nineveh. We'll come back to that in a few years. It's a wacky place. Get out of there while you can. Yeah, don't go to Nineveh. Resen was between Nineveh and Kalach. It was a big city. So, we just talked about Ashur, um, if you're following all the characters who we've heard so far. Ashur, um, because the Bible is great at continuity, has not been introduced yet. Anyway... Back to Ham's kids, Mitzrayim. So in Hebrew, the im suffix, and you've heard some of these tribes before, um, Dodanim and those, uh, indicates a plural noun, which means that, I think, guess at this point, Ham's woman just started to give birth to entire tribes, which lends a bit of credence to the idea that Nimrod founded a kingdom, um, and also her vagina was probably really fucked up. <laughs> Also, um, just so you know, Mitzrayim refers to Egypt, but I'm going to keep calling it Mitzrayim as we go through this entire thing because I'm a dick. Anyway. Mitzrayim's kids, who are they? The Ludim, the Anamim, the Lahavim, the Naftuchim, the Patrusim, the Kasluchim, Kasluchim, excuse me. Yeah, come on. Who begat? The Plishtim. Back to the children of Mitzrayim. Oh, wait. Uh, this is the children of Ham. Sorry. Continue. Excuse me. Boot. Excuse you. Canaan, who begat. Sidon, his firstborn. Chait, the Yavusi, the Amori, the Girgashi, the Chivi. Okay, these are just Game of Thrones characters. The Arki, the Sini, the Arvadi. The Tsmari, the Hamati. Afterwards, the families of Canaan spread out. The borders of the land of Canaan went from Tzidon to as far as Gerar, near Gaza. That Gaza. And to Sdom, Amora, Adma, and Tzivoim, near Lasha. These are the sons of Ham, each in their own lands, speaking their own languages, in their own families and nations. Shem, father of all the sons of Aver, older brother of Japhet, also had kids. Very surprising. <laughs> Elam, Ashur. Remember that Ashur who left Nin, uh, Nimrod's kingdom? This is Ashur. Arpashchad, who begat Shalach, Shelach. Shalach and Shelach got to so much shit. <laughs> So confusing while running around yeah. the house. Oh God! The Shalach, Shalach, get respond. in here. <laughs> Shalach begat Aver, Peleg. In his days, the earth was divided. So Niflaga means divided, but um, the Peleg is in the root of Niflaga. But all these people were around at the same time, so I don't know why he got the special name about how divided the earth was. <laughs> but maybe we'll get back to it. We'll see. Yaktan, who begat. Almodad, Shalef, 
Chatzarmavet, Yara, Hadoram, Uzal, Dikla, Oval, Avimael. These names are just so stupid. Uzal and Dikla? I don't have anything. I just think those are ridiculous names, and I kind of want to saddle a child with the name Dikla and be like, it's biblical. You'll get made fun of at school, but no one will forget your name. No, nobody will forget Dikla. Oval, Avimael, Shva, Ophir, Chavila, Yovav. Back to the children of Shem. Lud, Aram, Utz. I really actually want to name my son Oots so that whenever he goes to a club, they're playing his song. Oots, Oh, God. Get there. Mosh. I know it's Mosh. I just had to say Mosh. Their settlement... The, the pits were named after him. <laughs> Their settlements went from Mesha to as far as Sephar, the hill country in the east. These are the sons of Shem, each in their own lands, speaking yeah, their own yeah, languages. Yeah, speaking their language in their own families. And in nations. their own families and nations. Such are the chronicles of the families of Noah in their nations. This is how the nations spread across the world after the flood. Everyone in the world spoke one language and used the same words. Remember how right before we said that um, everyone had different languages and they each each of these tribes spoke their that. own languages? You did. Each each in their own land speaking their own languages and their own families and nations? Well, fuck you. <laughs> well, to, you know, it's possible that this actually happened before all the... Everyone got split apart, but that's really confusing, and I don't care. <laughs> Everyone in the world... Oh, excuse me. No. As they migrated east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. Yeah, again, everyone living together totally contradicts everything we just read. Come on, everyone said to his neighbor. Let's build bricks and burn fire in them. <laughs> Sounds awesome. <laughs> These people use bricks as stone and clay as mortar. Why didn't they just use bricks as bricks? But, I don't know. Let us build a city, they told each other. I, I kind of like to see, like, these are all, they spoke together as one voice. I kind of like to imagine that they were actually all speaking together as one voice, like they're Occupy Wall Street. It's going to say the human microphone. Exactly. Let us build a city, they told each other with a giant tower that reaches the sky to make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered throughout the world. Yehovah took a trip down to see the city and tower the sons of man were building. It is as one nation, speaking one language, he said, that they have accomplished this. Now there is no stopping humans from doing anything they want. God forbid. Literally. <laughs> Let's go down and confuse their language so one man has no idea what his neighbor's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> no! <laughs> God scattered those people across the face of the earth and they stopped building the city. I kind of feel like those two statements are out of order. Like, they probably stopped building the city before he scattered them all over the earth. It's sad, though, because they, they just said that they need to build this building to reach the sky and make a name for themselves. Otherwise, they'd be scattered throughout the world. It's the exact thing that they were trying to prevent, and they accomplished it by building the tower. It's like Gift of the Magi. No, it's not. <laughs> 
That's why that city is called Bavel. There Yehovah muddled the languages of the planet, and from there, that he spread people across the planet. So, as I was saying about Niflaga's name, it's possible that he was just named in this time. But again, that just means the chronology of this is really, really suspect and confusing and, and wacky and doesn't make any sense. More importantly, I'm yes. going to provide a list of names. <laughs> Let's get back to the names. <laughs> These are the Chronicles of Shem. So here we have uh, just another handy chart, similar to some chapters in the past, um, because there's a lot of names and a lot of details that we need to learn about them. So I'm going to read the uh, top of the column, and then Yair, if you can provide me with some of the information within it. I can it. do that. So what's the first person's name? Shem. How many years until his son's birth? A hundred. Son's name? Arpashkar. Years after son's birth that he lived. 403. Now, if you recall, God capped uh, lifespans at 120 a couple of chapters ago. But again, that's totally getting destroyed by this chart. Uh, did Shem have sons and daughters? Of course. Next person. Arpashkar. How old was he when his son was born? 35. Son's name? Shelach. Years after son's birth. 403. Did he have sons and daughters? Yep. Shelach. How many years until his son's birth? 30. Son's name? Aver. Years after son's birth? 403. <laughs> What's crazy is that Shem, Arpashkar, and Shelach all live to exactly 403. Same age. Well, everyone crazy. used to use, live the same ages, to the same ages as their fathers in those days. Yes, that's true. Did you know that? I know. It's, it's in Rashi. We'll get to it in a, in a couple of months. Did he have sons and daughters? Yep. Next name. Aver. Years until son's birth. 34. Son's name. Peleg. Years after son's birth. 430. Did switch the decimals around. <laughs> exactly. Somebody just got lazy and made a typo. Did he have sons and daughters? Yep. Next name. Peleg. Years until son's birth. 30. Son's name. Ru'u. Years after son's birth. 209. Did he have sons and daughters? Yep. Next name. Ru'u. Years until son's birth. 32. Son's name. Shroog. Years <laughs> Shroog? Shroog. Did he, uh, years after son's birth. 207. Did he have sons and daughters? Yep. Next name. Shroog. Years until son's birth. 30. Son's name. Nahor. Years after son's birth. 200. Oh, God. Did he have sons and daughters? Yep. Oh my God. I can't believe none of these people had a firstborn daughter. Isn't that weird? <laughs> oh, those don't get mentioned. Oh, okay. Those don't count. Uh, don't next name, and this is the last one. Nahor. Years until son's birth. 29. Son's name. Terach. Years after son's birth. 119. Did he have sons and daughters? Of course. When Terach was 70, he birthed Avram, Nahor, and Haran. And that is chapter 4 of this wacky, wacky book. What did you guys think? <laughs> oh, gosh. It's a lot, a lot of names, but a lot of wacky things happen in this chapter. We learn about rainbows, Noach gets drunk, languages are created. Yeah, what do you think of that chapter? I don't know. I think it's it's 
I think that we learn a very good lesson, which is that man should not be an efficacious species. Yeah. And if he begins to get to that point, that he should be punished by God because he should be suppressed in his ability to uh, manipulate his surroundings. And yeah, it's it's sort of a lesson against global warming in a sense. Pro-global warming, I guess. Pro-global warming, <laughs> if you want to take it that way. Yeah. Um, but also, it's just the uh, yeah the idea that man should be suppressed by God. Yeah, it's it's. It's weird. It's, I mean, that's along the lines of what I was thinking about this, that, like, it's almost anti-peace and anti-people working together. And it's almost like, or to me, it seems as though the idea exists in it. It's not necessarily explicit, but that God, you know, divisions based on language and based on ethnicity or something that God wants to happen because we got too close to being as powerful as he was, which well, is a wacky thing. We almost founded a world government. Exactly. We almost all came together as one human race. A tribal democracy. It would have been awful. Yeah, it couldn't have worked out. Yeah. Well, what's creepy to me is that it almost seems as though um, it kind of plants the idea, if you learn this at a very, very early age, um, and if you take this book literally and you think that this is, you know, some kind of moral document that peace is a bad thing and that you know overcoming our differences to work together for a shared purpose is not a good thing only if it brings you power i guess so <laughs> only power empowering peace is bad i guess so so peace that that makes us complacent or takes away our power would be good yeah okay interesting Something else that came out of this is it, it made me think of something in uh, City of Glass by Paul Auster, um, where he has a... <laughs> you, can, you can speed up. It's a good book. Um, he talks about... The, he sees the fall of man as being from... Or a character in the book sees a fall from man as continuing from Eden through Bavel. In the story of Eden in chapter 2 of, oh my god, what the fuck Bible. Um, <laughs> not the real Not the one. real one. I don't know what chapter it is in the real one. I make my own chapter breaks. Um, but the man went through every single animal and named every single thing in the entire world. And in Auster's character's version of it, um, that was the birth of language. And the name of something was immediately connected to that thing. There was no differentiation between what something was called and what it was. When the fall of man happened, when man was kicked out of Eden, along with the woman, um, there was a fall of language, too. Language went from being the word and the thing being one to a sort of signifier and signified system. There was a word and then it was what was it described and those were two separate things. Then the fall of language continued even further in the story of Bavel that we just uh, talked about where um, language is variegated, man gets all sorts of different language and meaning is even further from the thing that it describes. I thought this was interesting in bringing it up because in a funky little way and um, you know this is a little bit self-aggrandizing, but I feel like part of the reason this project exists is to um, raise our language close to the original meaning, to bring uh, the understanding of this book in the modern context slightly closer to what it would be if we actually um, got the text originally, if there weren't years and years and years of other translations and other understandings of what this text is supposed to mean, and we actually just got it, we all understood Hebrew, and we read it right there, and we knew what the text meant. But, you know, it's also to make fun of it. Um, 
that's it, I guess. Um, thank you so much for, for joining me here, and thank you all for coming out here tonight. Um, before we end, uh, I once again want to um, you know, ask that you like us on Facebook if you're enjoying it. That's at the very end. That's how we end the show. Don't worry. We'll get, we're coming to it. Uh, ask that you like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash omgbible. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. There was a hashtag that started up last week called Shit God Says, and there were some really fun tweets that um, popped out of the OMGWTF Bible Twitter through that. If you'd like to join in the hashtag, that would be awesome. Uh, as I said at the beginning the show. We're on Stitcher Smart Radio now, so if you have that up on your phone, you can subscribe to the podcast through that. And as always, please re leave a review on iTunes. We're on iTunes. If you like the show, leave a kind, very thoughtful review. There are some really awesome reviews that I saw uh, in the past month. If you didn't like the show, keep it to yourself. Uh, and again, just share the show with anybody you think might be interesting, because this is how these things spread through word of mouth, through social sharing. Um, I also want to say that we're opening up submissions. As you know, in every single episode, I ask my guests what their favorite Bible story is, what their favorite passage of the Bible is. Part of that is to, this is my, you know, this is the Bible in my words, essentially, because I'm translating it, but I want to hear the Bible in your words. Um, this is a text that presumably we all share. It's formed our heritage for better or worse, uh, maybe for worse, but it's formed our heritage in some way. So let's all tell these stories together. If you have a version of the Bible that you'd like to send to me, if you have a story that touches you, if you have a piece of art that you think would be really cool, send it to omgwtfbible at gmail.com and it'll go up on the blog at omgwtfbible gwfbible.com and I would really appreciate any and all submissions. Last, Yair, is there anything that you want to plug or let the audience know is going on in, with you? Not right now. Not right now? I exist. No shows coming up? Nothing? No, I exist. Okay. That's yeah. awesome. Yair exists, so just keep on following his existence <laughs> in life, not necessarily on the internet. And please be sure to join us uh, for chapter 5 because next month in the Bible... God starts the Israeli-Palestinian conflict by promising some land to Avram. Oh!